This is Beyond Busy. I'm Graham Alcott. I'm the author of a number of books, including the global bestseller, How to Be a Productivity Ninja. And I'm the founder of Think Productive. We work with some of the world's leading companies to help people get stuff done, but more importantly, to help people to make space for what matters. Beyond Busy is where I explore the often messy truths and contradictory relationships around topics like work-life balance, happiness and success, and explore with interesting people what makes them tick. In short, this is where we ask the bigger questions about work. My guest today is Sarah Townsend. Sarah has had a successful 20-year career as a freelance copywriter, and she's the author of Survival Skills for Freelancers. She's also a mentor and ambassador for the Freelance Her 100 program in the northwest of England. And in this episode, we talk about some of the barriers facing women who want to ditch the 9 to 5 and strike out on their own. And we share tips on how to say no, using the Pomodoro technique, minimizing cabin fever, perfectionism, and lots more. This is Sarah Townsend. Sarah Townsend, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good, thanks, Graham. Thank you for having me on. It's a nice sunny day here in Gloucester, which always sort of lifts the spirits. Yeah, like it's... we're in the green room for spring, doesn't it? A little bit. Oh, totally. It just it does it does feel like the world is getting a little bit more optimistic than the the dark place that we've been for sure. Yes. Um, I wanted to start by looking at the thing on the wall behind you. Work hard and be nice to people. Yeah, it's an that. Anthony Burrell print. I think that's his name. Does a lot of typography. Nice. Yeah, and is that like a bit of a, a mantra for life? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you should use it in your kindness book. Yeah, yeah. Basic sure. fundamental truths, I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I've got a whole thing in the book that I'm writing, which is all about kindness in in leadership. And one of the things is the difference between nice versus kind. So I think mm. I'm actually going to be quite. Um, I think I'm going to be quite controversial in the book and say that nice is the opposite of kind. Interesting. Um, but like for the purposes of what you've got behind you, then what a great mantra, right? Like yeah. Work hard and just you know be a good. Be a good person. Just be kind. Yeah, it yeah. should say work hard and be kind, I think, because I think that's more important. But I, you, you got me thinking the other day when you were talking about kindness in your episode with Seth Godin, and you, uh, it just, just made me think about whether kindness and generosity were the same thing. So you got me kind of yeah. going off on a big, long mental tangent thinking about that subject. I don't think they yeah. are, for the record, right. but we can come on to that later. <laughs> yeah, let's come back to that. That's a really interesting one. Um, but let's start by uh, let's start by uh, talking about your book. Oh yeah, let's. congratulations on the book. We've got a lot of things going on. Um, so survival skills for freelancers, and one of the things that was interesting at, at the start of the book, you talk about uh, t- giving yourself a birthday party um, for celebrating your freelance business, becoming an adult, and passing eighteen <laughs> years. So, so you've been a freelancer for a long time. Twenty-one so, years. 21 years yeah Um, so let's just start with that so do you feel like you have have really changed the way that you freelance over the years like like has it evolved like what's been that journey of of, you know such a long period of time which is just super impressive right but like what what's changed over that time 
um, apart from technology and the fact that there was barely any internet when I first started out. I mean, there was no social media. So how in the heck did, did I ever kind of deal with working on my own? Like there was no community or mm. social kind of online groups or anything I could re- fall back on. Um, and that's probably the main reason why chapter one is all about community and, and connection. Um, but yeah, my business has just grown as my children got older. So I started as a freelancer when I was working in Bristol for a publishing magazine publishing company. So it was an agency, basically, really busy, buzzy sort of environment. And I absolutely loved my job. But I knew when I became pregnant that I didn't want to work full time anymore. I also knew that I didn't want to be a full time parent. It wasn't that I didn't want to. It was more that I don't think I've got it in me. I'm not a patient enough person and I'm somebody who's very career driven so I wanted to achieve that perfect sort of idyllic balance that we all think about when we think about going freelance don't we that sort of the flexibility and the freedom to kind of do the things you love and also to get paid good money for doing the work that you enjoy so um yeah I guess I started off doing sort of two or three days a week while my daughter who's now 21 is uh, was at nursery and and then I had my son three years later and my business just grew with my children and um, I guess 12 13 years of the 21 years I've been freelance I was also a single parent so I was kind of juggling the parenthood and having those issues with the kind of balance and the lack of boundaries that I had to begin with and that's what I've got better at not perfect by any means I still have real wobbles and times when I'm really on the edge of burnout if I'm not careful and I really have to mentally say look you're too close take a proper break and sometimes it just involves a day completely collapsed on the sofa and no energy and tears and <laughs> I can't cope with anything in the world yeah, yeah. and um yeah other other than that generally speaking I'm better at setting boundaries between my kind of work time and my home time but yeah, I mean, as my children kind of progressed through school, and I guess really I, I wasn't properly full time until both my children were at secondary school, because okay. then I was working proper hours. And before that, I would probably start working about 9.30. I used to walk my son to school and I would um, go and fetch him. So you know what it's like as a parent, you kind of have to finish at quarter to three or whatever go and do the school run take a break in the afternoon and then maybe go back to it in the evening but yeah that's that's sort of some of the joys of being freelance I think having that flexibility to be able to do that yeah I definitely hear you on that the balance thing and the not wanting to be a full-time parent and also wanting to embrace parenthood too right like I I really feel like i I love parenting. So I'm a single dad, you know, 50, 50, um, you know, with my son. And so I kind of love that time of being all in on being a parent. But I think one of the best things about being a, a single divorced parent is you get to give your kid back <laughs> like every week. right? So you get those days where you can, where you can really kind of focus on work. So f- for me, it's like, you know, it took me a, many years sort of after the split to where I, you know, for a long time, I kind of thought about it as like a failure, but actually mm. in many ways, I feel like it's the perfect setup for me if I'm being oh, like really, really honest. So, so yeah. yeah, it works really well. Let, let's pick up on that burnout thing. 
So you said there that there's days where you realize that you're really close to it. Mm. So what are the what are the symptoms of that and then you know what are the what are the kind of warning signs that you that you eat most easily pick up on oh for me it it's total overwhelm and i've had to get so much better at saying no to things there's still times when i struggle yesterday for example i got a voice message on instagram from a good friend of mine saying oh a friend of mine is thinking of writing a book and i wondered if i could give you your number can you have a chat with her i'd love to chat with everybody who's thinking about writing a book but if i did i just would have no time left to do the actual work that pays the bills and I still struggle with that because I want to help as many people as possible. Um, that, in a nutshell, is why I wrote the book. It wasn't for the money. As you know, I mean, probably you have multiple books. You're probably in a slightly better position. But you don't self-publish a book and and sell it only on Amazon and, and hope to make money. It's, that's, it's just... Um, it's irrational to kind of think that that's a, a, a sustainable idea. Um, but, yeah, it's just having to say no but even when I do I still there's certain things come along and I think oh I could just I could just take on this I could just help this extra person I could just do this extra thing and then I realize that I'm putting other people's needs before my own and I I, for me I get literally short of breath I suffer from anxiety so does my daughter actually and I just get very short of breath Mm -hmm. I'll get tearful i'll be on the edge of tears just in seconds and and then i know that i'm not doing my best work and that's that that's the difficult thing because i feel like i'm trying to help everybody and in doing so i'm really helping nobody well so that's why i have to say no to as much as i do and i am naturally somebody who's 100 miles an hour or parked up on the driveway on bricks <laughs> like literally i am zero or a hundred nothing much in between so my energy is usually up here but when it crashes it crashes big time and i have to properly reset and i have to just for me it's like have a soak in the bath <laughs> read escapism and then go and watch tv watch like trash on tv for probably hours like binge a box set or something and that's how my brain reboots um, Anne Lamott said almost everything will work again if you reboot it, including yeah. you, um, reset it, turn it off and on again, you know, that, that kind of concept. And it's so true because we don't often think to do that with our brains and we do need to build in time to do the other things, the kind of the flow activities that the things that you do that you lose track of time and you're completely focused and mindful in the activity that you're working on. And things like um, building exercise into your day. For me, that's absolutely vital. It makes me more productive. It makes me more focused. It makes me a nicer person to be around and it keeps my mental health in check. Yeah. I love that thing, um, like the heat maps of the brain, and it shows if you do, just do 15 minutes of exercise, so much more of the brain is, is you know, is like heated up and, and wired and ready to go. And so, you know, you don't have to be in the gym for an hour for this to be a real big thing. And that that's my thing is just a quick, like, 15, 20 minute just to run around the park and back. Yeah. yeah. You know, it really, really sets me up well. Um, sometimes when you're on the edge of burnout and you're in the middle of busy and this show is beyond mm-hmm. busy mm-hmm. um sometimes when you're in the middle of busy it can be the hardest time to convince yourself to switch off 
Yeah. And so how do you get over the guilt of that? How do you give yourself permission to switch off? If I'm honest, I don't think I do. I think when I'm in the middle of busy, I think the adrenaline carries me through. And that's the danger because when I'm... I'm very much kind of high on the adrenaline. I love my job. You know, I love I love the copywriting side of what I do. And I love helping other freelancers and small business owners through doing talks and mentoring and goodness knows what. So I'm, I'm fired up by what I do. And that's not to say I don't have bad days, chapter eight. Everybody gets bad days. And just kind of that impression that if you're doing a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I think that's a very dangerous concept because... Yeah. It almost makes you feel this sense of guilt when you do have a bad day, but it's okay. And it's okay not to be okay and to admit that. In fact, it's important to do that. But when I'm in the middle of that kind of everything's quite frantic and 100 miles an hour and I'm getting all these things done and I'm achieving, I'm smashing the deadlines. That's great because the adrenaline is carrying me through. And it's only when I stop that I think, oh, you know, then the adrenaline drops off. And it's like that kind of, I was convinced I was going to have it with the book because I went with my energy with this big time. And that's mm. the reason I managed to get from idea to self-published within like five months. Wow. At most. Oh, that's, that's quick. So yeah, congratulations. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and until that point, I didn't just think I would never write a book. I... I, I didn't just not want to write. No, I didn't think I'd never write a book, but I did. I actively didn't want to write one. I'd had a lot of people like, I don't know if you've come across Andy Maslin, big copywriting book guy, now writes um, thrillers on a Jack okay. Reacher kind of scale. And uh, he said to me, oh, you should write a book on copywriting. There aren't enough books by women about copywriting. Still true. But I have no... It's sort of ironic given that, you know, it... Your your job is writing, so and that's why come more easily to you. Yeah, but that's why I didn't want to write a book because I spend all my day writing. Yeah. Like, why would I want to spend my spare time writing? But what <laughs> I didn't realize was that when I decided to write this, this would become my full time. So I just ditched client work for a whole month so oh, I could get okay. my first draft written because I have to go with my energy. I'm very energy driven, so if I'm not feeling pulled towards a particular project that for me is a sign that that's the kind of work that I should say no to when I'm excited when I have a discovery call with a new client and I get what I call the goosebumps moment when I'm fired up and excited about their purpose and why they do what they do then I know that that's it's a really nice kind of subtle um indicator of how it, it really helps me choose the people that I want to work with but yeah, definitely when I'm going with the energy, the energy is kind of carrying me on, however exhausted I am and however much I'm not sleeping because I'm having ideas throughout the night. It it keeps me going. And then at the end, that's when I have to be gentle with myself and really guard my own energy and my own time and take time for me to do absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, so your business is copywriting. So what would what would a typical client look like for you who you know who do you tend to uh, focus in on in terms of who you work with it's really developed over time as you'd probably imagine so this week and last week i've been working on the annual report for rtl group you know the television network mm -hmm. and i've done 15 
consecutive annual reports for them. So they are my longest standing client. And I love working with them. They're lovely, lovely people. And I like the subject of television and entertainment. It's it's an interesting um, world to be in. But they're a huge global corporation. And I, I also love working with smaller businesses. I find that super rewarding when you can make a real difference. They don't necessarily have their own marketing manager. I might be working with the business owner who's really passionate about getting their message out there, but doesn't have the skills or the ability all the time, let's be honest, yeah. to do that themselves. Um, and I the guess businesses... on that smaller scale, does it end up being, it's not just about the words, it's also about that translating through to like the tactics and what they're trying to achieve. And because they don't yeah, have those, much, so. you know, much bigger, you know, focus grouped strategies around what the annual report's supposed to be, or, you know, what the, what this particular piece of copy is exactly planning on, on achieving. Yeah, it, it, it really is that. There are copywriters out there who a client can come to them and say, can you write me a thousand words for a blog post? And they'll just get a thousand words. Whereas I'm not particularly interested in clients who come to me and say, can you write me four blog posts a month? I want to really get to know their business and I want to kind of be part of their team. And it might not necessarily be an ongoing, however many days per month type of arrangement, but they know that when they need marketing done, they come to me. So I tend to sort of take them back to their website and get them to question why they think they need four blog posts a month or whatever. And when they come to me and say, well, you know, we want to drive more traffic to your web to our website. Well, how's your website looking? Is it as good as it should be? Is it as good as it possibly could be? Is your is your messaging really strong? Are you really taking people through a process and through a journey that's going to lead them to contact you or to book your course or to buy your product or get in touch or whatever it is? So, yeah, I like to start with a website first kind of approach. And the businesses that I really like working with the most are the ones who are driven by a purpose other than profit. So I've heard all sorts of terms used for these businesses, but um you know, the ones that are kind of maybe at some sort of working for some sort of social change, something that's to do with sustainability, the environment. Those are the businesses that I really enjoy working for. They want to, they've identified a problem and they're working to fix that problem, but it's something that's bigger than just making money. Yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense. Um, we've got one more question just on the subject of words and copywriting. So, I'd imagine most people listening to this are, you know, have they, everyone has to use words in their day to day, right? Whether that's just yeah. writing emails, whether that's writing reports. I'd love you to talk about what you see as some of the, the main things that people get wrong or the main kind of cliches to avoid and just ways mm -hmm. that people can think about their own writing, even if it's just as simple as, as you know, uh, writing, uh, you know, emails or updates or whatever but just like what can people do better around their own business writing yeah well i would say one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is making their copy about them and it shouldn't be about you it should be about your customer and about the problems that they face and the solutions that you provide to them so it's really all about the ways in which you make your customers lives easier so like the worst thing you can possibly do on a website say welcome to my website like, you know, I am this, I do this. Well, there's a place for telling your story and that's your about me page or about us yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And that is a really important thing to do because people buy from people and it's, 
not B2B or B2C, it's human to human. So remember that in your writing, that you are a person talking to a person and the person may be part of a big corporation or a big business, or you might not be seeing them as an individual, but that's a mistake because ultimately you have to make a connection with them that really resonates and really triggers some form of emotion in them. There's a great quote from Nelson Mandela that says, when you talk to a man in a language he understands, it goes to his head. But when you talk to a man in his language, that goes to his heart. So if you can really get under the skin of your clients and customers and talk to them in their language, that is the best way to make some sort of emotional connection with them. And we buy on emotion, don't we? We, we don't buy on logic or facts. Obviously, those things come into it. But ultimately, you just know when you want to buy from a particular brand, you feel that connection. So that's really important to do. Talk less about you and talk more about them. And really, that kind of continues on to using human language. So don't talk like be less robot and be more human i think mm. um i'm actually working on a document for a large charity at the moment who shall not be named and it's been written in such a kind of counterintuitive way it's like every paragraph is kind of twice as long as it actually needs to be and it's as if every point they make they're making the same point immediately afterwards but just using different language so it's kind of not so much about using like covering every single base because your message is just going to get lost or it's going to get diluted. It's using as few words as you possibly can and clear, simple human language that is language that people really use day to day. Because people people are busier than ever now, aren't they? So we have such a, a short amount of time to actually grab someone's attention. And then once you've grabbed their attention, don't let it go by going off into jargon or business speak or boring kind of long winded words. Yeah, totally. Although I would say the opposite of that is um, this is one of my bugbears is and I blame innocent smoothies for this. Oh, <laughs> the whole thing where everyone wants to be like over zany. You know, everyone wants to be like, oh, I'm really quirky. And so you're on yeah. the back of like a you know a bottle of bleach or something it'll be like don't drink me please and all this is just like come on you know yeah um, we don't need all these brands talking to us as if they're like zany whatever so it's about like it needs to be brand appropriate the 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 the, the brand and what it stands for and talking to the customers in the way that they understand rather than yeah for sure overdoing it for sure and i think certainly for for kind of company one sole trader freelancer businesses when you are your business i think don't ever try to be something that you're not because it's exhausting trying to keep up an act so don't pretend you're this kind of very polished professional serious sort of business person if you actually are a bit more off the wall and vice versa because you'll just trip up and people will sense that inauthenticity and and they'll just you know they might not recognize that that's what it is but there will be something that is not sitting quite right with them and then it will be off-putting and they're less likely to choose you and, and deal with you and buy from you. So let's talk a bit more about freelancing and um, we're going to put this episode out during March, which is International Women's History Month. Um, And part of what I'm doing with Beyond Busy for this month is profiling female leaders, basically, and making sure that all the episodes are 
profiling and putting a spotlight on brilliant women over this month. Amazing. I noticed that you, you're a mentor for Freelance Her 100. Yeah. Um, and so do you want to explain a bit about that, first of all? Yeah, so it's a scheme that is taking part in uh, taking place in Greater Manchester. It's E ERDF. Is it ETRF or ERDF funded? And um, okay. it's something we don't have that, that anymore, though, do you? <laughs> well, um, so the, the, the money will, will sort of, you know, trickle through for the next couple of years, probably, and then sadly, probably be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think what's going to happen with it is it's proving so popular already. It's supporting 100, actually 110 women. They had something like 190 applications. And it's women who have either lost their jobs as a result of COVID or they've really struggled with their businesses. Mm. They've all, I mean, I've been absolutely blown away by the things that the women in my mentoring group have already achieved with their businesses. They're just incredible. And they've so got you're mentoring great them ideas. To, to start their own business or to run their own business, basically. Well, actually, the women in my group, none of the, some of the, the businesses are kind of side hustles that they're, I don't like that term, but they're um, working perhaps in a full-time job, but they're doing this on the side and they want to make it into a full-time business. So it's helping them to transition into self-employment full-time. Yeah. But they've got such great ideas and they're so experienced. I've got someone in my group who runs um Carla's Real, who runs a, a, a she's quite famous in uh, Bermuda where she's from she runs a tv show called she have tv I've got someone who um is involved in tv production who's worked on things like Marcella and things I've actually heard of I was kind of like well, how <laughs> I, and I think I was just sort of expecting them perhaps to be all less experienced but that I mean, we're all at this point where I'm kind of facilitating this peer mentoring with ten women in my group, and we're all learning from from one another. I'm learning from them just as much yeah. as they're learning from me. It's a fantastic process to be involved in. So that's a twelve week program, and I think the idea is that at the end of this pilot that's taking place in Manchester, that the whole idea will be adopted by other regions around the UK, and it will. Nice. Just it will grow and grow and it's it's just a really rewarding thing to be involved in what do you think are some of the barriers that particularly women face to starting out on their own starting their own business oh god yeah that's a really good question i think particularly i i think in a lot of cases it's confidence um it, 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 it's certainly when i first talked to the women in my group they, they're all incredibly accomplished in their own way and they've got great um kind of credibility and but but the confidence is definitely lacking in all of them across the board so, it, so uh, the youngest in my group is 20 i think the oldest i don't actually know the oldest but i know that um one of them is 47 i'm 51 and i think um the the the, the thing that holds them all in common they're all working in very different fields but they all lack confidence and they're all kind of like if we if i had the confidence to do this i you know i i would do this with my business if i had more self-belief if i was um affected by the fear of failure less and if i had less imposter syndrome and less self-doubt so it comes down i think a lot to that kind of mindset and and, and there are a lot of things that I talk about in the book that people struggle with a lot and 
I've sort of guided them through doing these difficult things, such as saying no to work for the first time. It's something that often people don't even, they wouldn't even consider. Yeah. I mean, especially when you first start as a freelancer, the idea of turning work down is just completely inconceivable, isn't it? But yeah. when you're further down the line and you do have more regular work and more regular income, you, you, might, you realize that by saying no to the wrong work, you open the door to work that is far more fulfilling and rewarding. You get far better enjoyment from self-employment by taking on the work that inspires you and the stuff that you really want to do. Uh, it's it's empowering. So, yeah, certainly confidence. Probably yeah, the biggest. And, and it feels like there's a whole load of stuff that's very sort of, you know, systemic around around why women don't feel as confident as men. And there's all, all those studies mm -hmm. that if you have eight out of the 10 things in a person spec, most men say, cool, I've got eight out of 10, that's enough. And most women say, I'll wait till I've got the other two. Mm. Um, I, I wonder relate. if there's anything, I wonder if there's anything that, you know, people can do particularly that will help with that. I mean, it feels like there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk out there around stuff like imposter syndrome. But ultimately, it's, you know, it, it's about getting to know yourself more and getting to know your value more and, and, and really oh, starting sure. to, to live it, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's, and it's certainly the case that when you do do those things that you feel you haven't got the confidence to do, if you take those little baby steps mm -hmm. and if you just grasp little opportunities and do them one at a time and build up slowly, the confidence boost you get from doing something that takes you outside your comfort uh, outside your comfort zone, something that you didn't think you had the confidence to do, the boost that comes from that is just phenomenal. And if yeah. you can continue to build on those in incremental kind of increases in confidence, then there's no limit, really. It's, it's interesting, though, because something that I found really early on with my group was when we were talking about what they think is holding them back, what gets in their way. And we all kind of admitted that we all get in our own way from time to time, and there are various ways that that shows up for different people. But certainly some of them, they knew what they needed to do to become more successful, and when we dug a little deeper, it turned out that the thing that was holding them back wasn't the fear of failure. It was actually the fear of success. And I find that, yeah. you know, the quote from Marianne Williamson, we're not, uh, it's, we're not afraid of failure. We're not, we're afraid of success. I can't, I can't remember it off the top of my head. It's not our, um, darkness. It's not our we'll, light that, yeah. Anyway, we'll find it, it and put it in the show. Look it up for sure. Yeah. Marianne Williamson. Yeah. And I've quoted a part of it in the book, which is even more shameful that I can't remember the first lines of it. But it is just one of those things. I think we don't know what success feels like mm. and how it's going to change us. And will our friends react differently to us? And will people kind of drop us because they think we've become too big for our boots? And I think there's certainly a lot of that with women. We're kind of taught not to be, you know, almost don't don't, don't be too cocky. Don't be too... Mm. Um, don't show off i think that's that's certainly something i i, I don't know it, it it doesn't sit well with a lot of women that's interesting because i feel like that a lot of the culture for men is to be cocky and to show off yeah. and, and bravado and often i struggle with that you know personally but i know it's still there in my psyche even though i struggle with it 
sort of more intellectually, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still feels like something that I should be thinking about or doing or a, a way that I should be behaving. It's really, it's really interesting for me. I was talking about this with my partner the other day because I have really been kind of all over social media since I self-published survival skills for freelancers. And I occasionally get a comment from someone saying, oh, wow, you know, you're everywhere. Like you're, you're doing so much. This is great. You know, it's great to see you all over the place. But at the same time, I'm really conscious that that is super annoying for some people. (laughs) And it also becomes something that they're looking at what I appear to be doing. They're not seeing the days where I'm, like in floods of tears feeling completely you know when I first saw that Seth Godin was going to be the previous guest on your podcast I had major major imposter syndrome and I thought you know what what could I possibly say how could I possibly follow that and and they don't see that I talk about that a lot on my Instagram about the kind of real feelings but I think generally speaking sometimes we tend to forget that social media is the edited highlights and it's the bits that we want the world to see and for me yeah it I'm not somebody who would ever feel comfortable feeling like I was being being salesy but at the same time I've written this book and it's helped so many people in such a fundamental way I've had emails saying I felt myself getting stronger and Mm. more confident with the turn of every page of this book and I get comments like that and people saying it has really made a proper difference it's really changed their lives and changed their approach and it's given them the confidence to go self-employed why in the hell would I not want to put it out there and try to help as many people as I possibly could because I'm totally committed to this book I self-published I've done all the publicity and all the promotions and all the marketing myself and that is the bit that is really risking me burning out because my energy is there but at the same time i'm doing the copywriting which pays the bills promoting my book isn't earning me money i get you know six pound on the cover price of 15 and then i have to pay tax on it so you don't write a book to make money believe me and anybody that's kind of cynical about that try it you know it oh yeah (laughs) i'll vouch for that too it's ludicrous but yeah i mean it feels uncomfortable in some ways but at the same time i don't feel like i'm promoting me i feel like i'm promoting this and this can help people yeah yeah what 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 was funny for me um a few years ago was i can't remember how it came about but i kind of had this realization of oh so even all the people that i look up to get nervous about doing stuff or get imposter syndrome. Mm. Everybody feels insecure. And I think once I figured out that like every human feels insecure, mm. it felt better. It felt okay that that could happen to me sometimes. Right. Yeah. And I was, like, was working on a thing yesterday where I spent hours and hours just kind of staring at this, this blank page that I was working on and, and just feeling this kind of sense of imposter syndrome and, and, you know, and sort of procrastination and, and whatever, but just determined to just sit there and, and try and sort of get through it. And then I was talking to my coach and she was saying, Oh, it's okay to not be the expert. And it's also okay to say, I'm not the expert, but I also I do know what I'm doing. Mm. And that really softened it for me. It's like, okay, so I don't have to know, know all the answers, but I can, you know, enough. I can, 
I can bring something to the table where it's like, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is the right route, even if I don't know the exact yeah, yeah. 100% of everything. And yeah, so I think it's funny, isn't it? How even when, um, you know, um, you know, my work is, is often about helping people to overcome procrastination and lizard brain and all that stuff. Yeah. It doesn't make you immune from, from getting it yourself. Yeah. So it's going to happen. Exactly. Um, one thing you talk about in the book that I thought was, <clears throat> is for me something I've been thinking about recently it feels like one of the one of the things that covid may have uh hit upon and sort of transformed in the economy i think is co-working oh yeah i think it's going to be an awful lot of people who they go back to the office but they don't go back to the office yeah and what happens is they work a couple of days in the office and then they work a couple of days from home and Mm -hmm. i think if people get sick of working from home the natural thing is, okay, I've got my office in another town or another city or whatever. I don't need to live in London anymore, whatever. Yeah, exactly. But then now I've also got a little base in this co-working place as well. And I think mm. co-working is going to have a boom Yeah. Like, once, once things change. What I liked about your book was you talk about, um, you know, different ways of sort of selecting co-working places or what you found in, in different co-working places. So I'd just love to hear more about how you see co-working. What do you get from it? And uh, what's, what should people look for if they're in that situation for the first time now of going to look at co-working? It's like, you know, what, what am I really looking for here? Yeah, well, that's that's a very good question. And and I kind of feel like a fraud answering it in a way because I, I don't do co-working in the traditional sense. So I don't um, go to an office that is set up pr- particularly with the purpose of offering a co-working space. I interviewed somebody from a local co-working facility who said it was remarkable for her. She realised that she wasn't just renting out desk space. She was giving people headspace. Um, Just a a change from the same four walls and the opportunity to work around other people. So, you know, you might be somebody who actually prefers the bars of working in a busy office. Now, that's me through and through. So for me, my co-working is actually working in the bar at my gym. I can't wait for the gym to reopen so I can get back there because it's 15 minutes from my home. So I get my stuff together first thing in the morning. I walk up there, so it's fresh air, exercise, and then I work in this kind of buzz of other people who were all doing their own businesses from their own little tables, drinking the gym's coffee and using the gym's Wi-Fi, and and it's great. I love it. But in traditional co-working spaces, it's definitely going to be the case that some aren't the right fit for individuals. So perhaps you might prefer a smaller sort of setup that's a bit more casual, or maybe you might like the idea of working in some sort of big, slick, glass-fronted, floor-to-ceiling windows, kind of with all the shiny computers and stuff that you can borrow. It depends what type of person you are and what you're looking for. But one of the brilliant things about co-working is that you have this community of people that you can collaborate with. You can bounce ideas off. You can just talk to. You can talk about last night's episode of Waking Dead or (laughs) whatever it is, um, the latest kind of box set on Netflix. Whatever it is that you want to talk about, it's just having people around you that kind of makes you feel less isolated We all know the isolation and loneliness of working on your own. Not just freelancers are in this position right now. Let's be honest. People who are used to working in a big office are forced to have to do it. And a lot of them are working from a corner of their kitchen table or 
they're um you know working on the sofa so it's it's a really important thing to recognize what we need as individuals and i think i know a lot of introverted freelancers who are like well no i'm actually i'm good with working on my own it's fine it works for me got my playlist on in the background and um i'm quite happy but extroverted those extroverts among us <laughs> me included will be energized just simply by being around other people and being able to sort of see other people being productive. I also think when you're outside of your home, there are just naturally fewer distractions. When you're at home, even if your headspace is entirely on work, when you go down and make yourself a coffee, you might think, oh God, I should really load and unload the dishwasher or fold the washing or stick a wash on or whatever it is. And it, it just enables you to get out of your home space. And yeah. at the moment, we're all spending 24-7 in our home space. We need a break. Changes. Yeah, so so here in Brighton, we've got this place called Platform 9, which has got a couple of different locations. And actually, Think Productive's office was was based there for a long time, oh, pre-pandemic. And, you know, what what I really love about that place is the way they set up so many events and community. And so it kind of feels like you're in this this world of community rather than just a desk, you know? Yeah. Um, and I feel like, you know, personally, probably just to do with, you know, dad commitments and stuff, I never really have taken advantage of that side of it enough and gone to events and stuff. I, I don't think I've ever been to one of their events, actually. But, like, but it's there a, if you a lot want the team it. Really, a lot of the team really loved it. And it was great to sort of be around it. The thing I do sometimes is um, I love that thing about headspace. Mm. And sometimes if I'm I'm very happy just in my in my shed at the bottom of the garden here and being very introverted and solo and I don't really need lots of other people to bounce ideas off but mm -hmm. for me sometimes what I want to do is just change the view yeah so it's like I've been in this one desk and this one headspace for you know for, for days on end and mm -hmm. so I just sometimes just cycle down the hill to we've got this place yellow wave on the beach which is like a beach volleyball place and I just sit and work you know from there with a the laptop for a couple of hours and sometimes I think the best ideas come from just changing the view. Oh, it's absolutely. not even about people. It's just yeah. about saying, right, let's just put my head in a different perspective. Mm. Suddenly I've just got a different way of, of thinking about the thing that I'm working on. Yeah, so true. I, I'm like that with swimming. I kind of switch my brain off, but at the same time, the good ideas start to flow when I'm yeah, not thinking right. about them. So I solve a lot of problems. I actually originally came up with the, um, the tip because Survivor Skills for Freelancers developed from a blog post. I came up with the idea for the the title of the original blog. It was called the same as the book, but it had a subtitle, which was how to go solo without going loco. And for <laughs> me, there's a story behind why I dropped that. It was one of those kill your darlings moments. But for me, that just summed up what made the book different. It's not just about the practical side of self-employment. It is about caring for the person and, and taking care of yourself and your own well-being and your own mental health. Um, but yeah, that's... yeah. Um, you wrote a piece, so this I think is so applicable to everybody uh, working from home. Um, you wrote this thing about procrastination when you work from home and obviously you've done this for a long time. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like there's some, some, some benefits from your years of wisdom of working from home that you can share with people. So um, do you want to talk about minimizing cabin fever? I thought that was a really good one. 
Um, well, minimizing cabin fever, like very much the kind of the, 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 the thing that we just talked about with the leave, making sure you leave the house. I think every yeah. single day, make sure that you build in some time for you to exercise. And I think the worst thing for most of us, when we're working on laptops, we have desk based jobs, you can get from morning to night without actually stepping up and away from your desk apart from just to go to the loo and make yourself a drink so it's really really important to build in those breaks and one of the ways in which i recommend doing that is using the pomodoro technique Mm, you can ask you about that as well Yeah. yeah it's it's great it's just so simple but it's so effective i have whole days that i don't use it because I'm on task and I'm fine and I'm not having problems with my focus. But when I'm struggling and I'm being pulled in a lot of different directions, I just open my Focus Keeper app on my phone. So do you want to explain the Pomodoro technique for people who don't yeah, know what it is? Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of this tried and tested productivity hack that just works really well by breaking your day down into manageable chunks of time. So you set a timer for 25 minutes you switch off all your notifications. I do that anyway, as a matter of course. Um, Quit out of email so you don't get distracted by anything. Focus entirely for 25 minutes on the task in hand and then take a five minute break. And then you rinse and repeat those 25 minute cycles four times and then you take a longer break after the fourth Pomodoro. So I was asking the other day about what sprints the term sprints meant to people on twitter i still can't quite get my head around it but somebody almost described it as being like a 25 minute pomodoro stint could be called a sprint so it's completely focused activity no distractions and then what i recommend is every time you get your five minute break just make sure you get up and away from your desk have a bit of a shake out i keep Literally, I have hand weights in the drawer behind me. So quite often when I'm on my five minute breaks, I'll run up and downstairs a couple of times, stick the kettle on, make myself a drink, do a few weights exercises. Look like an idiot, but it's OK because nobody can see. So um, I find that having those five minute breaks really helps my productivity because yeah. quite often you can be looking at the blank page and you can get that sort of oh God, you know, I I don't know what I'm supposed to be saying. I'm struggling to put this message together. But as soon as you get away from your desk and you literally reset your brain for a second, sometimes when you're just standing there waiting for the kettle to boil, you'll go, ah. Yeah, you ask a bigger question. Paragraph, yeah. Just stepping away, you just ask a bigger question. So when you come back to it, you just have a slightly broader um, perspective, I think. Oh, I like Um, that. And tell me about... um, Curbing your perfection. I really like that one as well. So ways to avoid procrastination. We've got to curb our perfection. Yeah, well, so Winston Churchill said perfection is the enemy of progress. And Sheryl Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook, said done is better than perfect. So I try to keep those two quotes in my mind because I am a natural born control freak perfectionist. And that would literally mean I get nothing done because I'm always trying to tinker and faff and refine and get it too perfect so if you just actually realize that done is better than perfect if you let the thing go you know when it's good enough it doesn't have to be perfect and sometimes it's just better to allow yourself just the freedom to kind of put something out there that isn't perfect give yourself the freedom to make mistakes and you know what's the worst that can happen yeah maybe Maybe it'll be a big failure. Maybe it will have a mistake in it. I'm not talking about client work here. Really, really important to make that 
distinction. This is more for the stuff that you're doing for you. So when I wrote the book, the time that was the hardest for me was when I just didn't want to let go of the tinkering editing process at the end. But you have to draw a line under it sometimes and just suck it up and realise that you're going to develop far more as a business owner and an individual if you just go outside your comfort zone and put that thing out there Mm. and stop faffing and stop worrying about failing because the chances are you won't one of my favorite quotes is leonard cohen and he has this quote great art is never finished only abandoned oh (laughs) i like that that it's like i i have when i tell myself that quote i have to also remind myself that i'm not comparing you know the little thing I'm doing day to day with like great art and Leonard Cohen and whatever but it's not a parallel though right I think the principle of it is is just fantastic yeah that's Um, right I wanted to also just ask you about there's a bit in your book where you say um so you talk about a free uh, freelance isn't free and you're one of the myths is to say I'm just a freelancer it's not the same as running a business yeah. And so I wanted to ask you if you think being a freelancer as opposed to being a business owner or an entrepreneur, do you think that gets a bad rep? Do you think the yeah. word freelancer has something a bit tainted about it somehow? Yeah, I do. And there was a big, long, ranty kind of thread on the Freelance Heroes group on Facebook not so long ago, maybe even just a week back. Um, and I, I thought it was really important um, early on in the book to, to stress that the advice is for anybody who is self-employed, whatever you call yourself, consultant, solo worker, entrepreneur, mumpreneur, whatever. Uh, you don't hear dadpreneur, do you, interestingly? I know, right? <laughs> That's really interesting. It's a yeah. terrible word. Mumpreneur yeah. is a terrible word. I'm sorry, I really dislike it. But but basically, I do think a lot of people wouldn't who, who are solo self-employed, companies of one, whatever you want to call it, they would they wouldn't necessarily consider themselves to be a freelancer. They wouldn't use that word to describe themselves because they do see it as being somehow less than. So a lot of freelance business owners go limited company so that they can call themselves a director of their business. Mm. And yeah, okay, I'm a director of my business. That's the way I work. I was a sole trader for probably 16 years of my business and went limited company quite recently. But it's whatever works for you. It's just semantics at the end of the day. It, what what makes the difference is if you consider yourself to be just a freelancer. And yeah. if you, as a freelancer, see freelancing as being less important or less just less worthy somehow than other types of employment or other types of job. So um, that that's when you really fall into problems because your clients will pick up on that kind of lack of self-belief. It comes down on some level to a lack of self-worth and a lack of confidence mm. again. So yes. as soon as you sort of adopt the mindset of a business owner and you realize you are actually running a business, you have your you keep your finances separate you put money away for the tax every month you have savings you have a pension you um set clear terms to um you you kind of outline your terms and your process really clearly to your client at the start of every working relationship so that they're not needing to micromanage you they can just let you get on with it they know that you're the expert and you've got this and you know, they can rely on you and trust you to do 
the job that they don't have the time or the ability or the skills to do. So, yeah, it's a, it, it's a lot of a mindset shift. But, yeah, there is definitely a, a kind of stigma almost around freelancers. And I don't think that the kind of the gig economy, the um, Upwork and um, Fiverr and, and these mm. platforms help at all. But you can be a freelancer and not – you can still have respect for what you do and you can still run your business as a business. And that's why it's important to do that, to make that mindset shift. Yeah, that's true. I've not thought of it in that way. But yeah, that whole sort of gig economy, you know, get a freelancer to do it thing. Yeah, actually really, it really puts back the idea of freelancing for those that are, uh, you know, freelancing in it in perhaps a much more, you know, uh, kind of, I guess, like serious way or like, you know, full time yeah. way or like intentional, this is going to be my permanent thing for mm. a long time kind of way mm. as opposed to you know those people then being lumped in with the idea of this is a casual thing i'm just going to do temporarily you know for a little while or whatever you know yeah yeah for sure and obviously there are freelancers who do only do it kind of part-time in their spare time and then for them oh yeah it's just a bit of business on the side and that's okay but as you say sort of i mean even when i was working part-time when my children were little i still took my business seriously because yeah. i realized that, that there's something that i quote in the business if in the book sorry if you want um half decent clients with half decent budgets you need more than a half-assed approach <laughs> and i just think that, that kind right. of i just think it resonates with people because if you if you're not taking your business seriously why in the hell would your clients yeah they won't I also love the bit in the book uh, where you talk about turning work down and you basically give this uh, little spiel of like, here are the reasons to work with clients and like listen to your gut about things that might be wrong. But so it's good times, good brief, good payers, good fit and good vibes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just love that as a way of, of sort of categorizing it. But what have you learned over the years about because I think this is also as true when you're working in a business and you're exploring partnerships or, you know, mm. maybe you're selling or maybe, you know, maybe you're uh, looking at suppliers, like whatever the situation is, like we, we all have to make these judgments about other people that we're going to collaborate with in some way. So yeah. what have you learned over the years about how to work with your gut on that? Oh, well, to begin with, I didn't because I would do the whole thing that we talked about earlier on about just it's work. You know, why would you want to turn it down? You know, am I even allowed to do that? Um, but, yeah, I mean, ultimately, the reason we go self-employed is because we want to be our own boss. And then instead of that happening, we let our clients dictate the terms and we take on work that we don't really want. And we're a bit scared to say no. So I've learned that the jobs that I didn't trust my gut on have ended up to be an absolute shambles. And when you start a working relationship with a client with that feeling of, I mean, the way I identify it is often if my heart sinks when I see I've got an email from them or their name comes up on my phone and I think, oh gosh, but I'm not quite tuned into why that might be at that point. It's just kind of a, a an early sign, I think, a bit of a red flag. So, yeah, if you if you don't listen to those red flags and you don't you don't turn that work down, it, there's sort of a universal truth that the clients that you um, that, that are the ones that kind of 
start off by being difficult perhaps they're quibbling over your rates or they're mm. um not wanting to pay your full fee or they're questioning your terms or they're saying well we, we don't work that way okay but if you want to work with me you work on my terms it's got to work for both of us equally and um, that's a really important thing to remember I think so. Yeah, if you don't tune into your instinct, you will end up regretting it at the end of the project because they're just they just end up being the biggest pain in the neck clients to work for. Those ones that you just, you know, on some level, you know that you should say no. But for some reason, you think, you know, if I turn this work down, what's going to happen? What if I don't get another job? What if, you know, what if I'm quiet for a while and mm, maybe yeah. I shouldn't have said no maybe I shouldn't but trust the process and I think trust it sounds really woo but trust the universe because whatever happens when you say no to the work that isn't the right fit for you it opens the possibilities of something that is much more fulfilling and much more enjoyable and mm. just a better fit with you and your business I think when so in the short period that I was freelance and doing freelance consultancy and training before I set up Think Productive, I feel like I always viewed opportunities as a way to sort of extend the cliff edge, right? So it's like, I've got money coming in for the next two months. And then after that, it just feels like it drops off a cliff. And, there's nothing there. Uh-huh. Yeah. and so after a while, you realize that that you never reach the cliff edge because it just keeps, you know, the money keeps kind of building out yeah. further. But at the beginning, that's like scary as hell, isn't it? Because mm. it's like you've come out of a situation where you've had, you know, probably a monthly pay packet and it's been very stable and whatever. Yeah. And there's never the cliff edge never existed. And then suddenly it does. I love that but analogy. You just, you just have to sort of think about it like. There, there will always be a piece of land that comes along that replaces oh, that I edge, like in two months time or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to pinch that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great analogy. Yeah it, it, yeah. it really is. Cause it does feel, yeah, it does just feel really scary. So we've got a couple of minutes left and, and maybe that's a nice little um, theme to just build on as we finish then. So are there things that you have found particularly challenging in you know, in, in being a freelancer and things that you'd uh, maybe encourage other people to, to look, look out for along the way? Um, well, I think one example that builds really nicely on from what we've just been talking about is how to take the fear out of those quiet times. So if you, you know, the expression um, energy goes where attention flows. So I think it was... Um, Tony Robbins said that, but it's that, that idea that you get more of what you're focused on. So if you focus on, if you find yourself quiet, peaks and troughs are just inevitable. So when you do find yourself quiet, if you focus on, oh my gosh, where's the next job coming from? Where's the next client coming from? And you focus on that lack of work. What happens is that you get more of the lack because that's what you're focused Mm, on. You get scrunched up inside your head and all you can think about is, oh my gosh, you know, what, what am I going to do next? But if instead of doing that, you actually see those quiet times as a gift, believe me, I'd quite like the quiet times from time to time now. And I turn down a lot of work. So those times are just an absolute gift for your business. That's when you should be focusing on productive, proactive activity that is really going to boost your marketing 
presence as a business. It's going to raise awareness. It's going to tell more people about who you are and what you do. Going to share examples of why you're an expert in your field. And um, I'm talking about things like learning new skills. So binging on podcasts while you're out for your daily walk, reading more business books or self-improvement books, um, perhaps writing a batch of blog posts that you can put out in weekly intervals to keep your content, you know, feed the Google beast, as it were. Um, or maybe it might be learning a new skill like teaching yourself Canva so that you can kind of up your game with your content that you're putting out on your social media. So whatever it is that you're doing, as soon as you turn your your focus onto this productive activity that is going to be kind of gold for your business, it's a real opportunity to work on your presence. When you're doing that thing, you'll be finding that you're enjoying it. You're focusing so much on the productive activity that then the work will start to flow back in because you're not focused on the lack of work. I, don't, I know it sounds yeah. woo, but it has proved itself time and time again to actually work. So I always say keep a list of things that you want to do when those quiet times kick in so that you can actually kind of almost look forward to them. Oh, I'll do this when. Yeah. And it's a, it's a different mindset. Isn't it? I remember the other thing for me was like this realization. It took me a while to get there, but this realization that there's lots of stuff that I need to do in the business that is not, you know, sort of client paying and and sort of fee-based work and realizing oh so now it's my accounts day and now it's my marketing day and whatever and just like taking those things seriously as part of the job even though they're not things that anyone's going to ask you to do and pay you to do but yeah and back to what you said before you know it's about taking it seriously not being half-assed and like treating it as a business even Mm. if you plan on just being solo and 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 sort of, you know, a, a one person operation kind of thing. Yeah. In the book, I talk a lot about outsourcing. That's something we haven't really got time to go into today. But if you're not going to outsource those tasks and they are things that have to be done, it's really important to block out sections of time in your week. So if you have a visual calendar like Outlook or whatever, block in, say, a, an hour once a week or two hours once a week or a morning or an afternoon and make that time yeah. non-negotiable because that working on your business is the only way you're going to keep pace with your competitors. Um, and, yeah, actually, I wonder if it's worth mentioning that as well. I think it's it's important to say that there are two ways of looking at the people who do the same job as you. You can look at them as the competition or you can look at them as your community Mm. because when there's a group of them all together. So let's say with me, I have two groups of copywriters that, um, one group uh, based on Twitter and one WhatsApp group, and we share ideas with one another. We talk about challenges. Oh, how would you deal with this? And this client's done this. You know, what would you do? We talk about how much we would charge for particular jobs and the amount of support we provide for one another. And then when we're too busy, we share work and this kind of thing. So that support that you can get from the people who do the same job as you is just immense because they've been there and they've done it. And if they haven't and they're new to the game, just think how much support you can give to them and you're giving back to the community. So, um, yeah, I would always choose community over competition every time. Yeah. And it's that whole thing of, you know, it's having an abundance mindset over the scarcity mindset and not thinking those people are going to take my money away. Right. Yeah. yeah yeah love that um so um 
Uh, the book is uh, Survival Skills for Freelancers, and we're playing our little uh, game of Snap at the end there. So <laughs> um, we'll put a link at getbeyondbusy.com um, to the book and have people can get, get hold of it. But do you want to just finish with just any other ways you want to just share that people can connect with you and find out a bit more? Yeah, I think probably the easiest way to do it. In terms of social media, I'm most active on LinkedIn and Twitter, and I also do Instagram. I wrote a blog post about when you're when you're self-employed, you should really pick two channels, one or two channels at most, and do them really well rather than spreading yourself thinly. But I'm spending so much more time on Instagram lately than I am on Twitter. So uh, you can find me on any of those platforms. But if you go to survivalskillsforfreelancers.com, there's a link there to buy the book. There's links to my social media. There's my email address. And there is a link to my copywriting website. So you can find out more about the day job if you feel so inclined. Amazing. Well, thanks, Sarah, so much for being on Beyond Busy. It's been it's been Thank great you. having you on. Thanks and, for inviting uh, me. Yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, lovely. Thanks, So there you go, Sarah Townsend. I've got a few things just to say before we finish. So uh, firstly, just a quick shout out to anybody who over the last week or two, your kids have gone back to school here in the UK. Just to say, I feel you. It's been it's been a rough few weeks, hasn't it, with all the homeschooling. And um, personally, when I looked at my diary last week and realised that I had all of that space, it was just like, oh, wow, this is, <laughs> this is like different. It's liberating. So uh, if that's you, just a shout out for all the amazing work you've done over the last few weeks on the homeschooling thing. And let's also just make sure that at the end of this school year, we really recognise the work of teachers as well. Because I think, you know, what I've definitely observed in my own kids' school is teachers just having to be endlessly resourceful. You know, don't forget there's been a lot of kids who are still in school through all this. So a lot of teachers are kind of teaching a real class and then doing their Zoom and then preparing the zoom resources for the next day and all the rest of it and it's just been a huge sort of pivot and adaptation for a lot of those folks as well so um yeah make sure let's make sure that we recognize them with gratitude um either now or at the appropriate moment at the end of the school year whenever that might be um so yeah um as i mentioned during the episode with sarah there we are through this month as part of women's history month and in the month of international women's day just doing a a theme here on the podcast spotlight on brilliant women um so next week i've got grace marshall think productives very own grace marshall talking about her new book struggle and the subtitle of it is uh, something like the surprising uh truths and lessons that come from life's shittier moments so we're going to be talking about shittier moments and stuff next week on the podcast and um it's a really inspiring read which i um had the privilege of being part of the whole you know, edit process for as well and, and sort of, um, you know, providing her with some comments and feedback as we went through. So, yeah, I've seen the book come together. It's really good and uh, really looking forward to talking about that next week. And also, I'm, I just want to say I'm really conscious that a lot of the guests that I've had on in the last few weeks have been people with books. And um, that's not, it's not really the intention. It just sometimes is the way things flow sometimes. So I'm making quite an effort at the moment to do a lot of outreach to people who are not book authors and are not promoting a book. Uh, not that there's anything inherently wrong with that, but it just it's nice to kind of shake it up. So I've been talking to a couple of small businesses based in Brighton and uh, we're talking to a few big name people as well. So um, yeah, lots happening on that sort of outreach thing. And if you want to help with that, 
if you've got people that you'd like to recommend for the podcast, they don't have to be famous. Um, you know, just someone with an interesting uh, tale to tell about their relationship to work um, is really what we what we look for, and just where we can ask those bigger questions about work and really about life. So, if you know someone that might fit the bill, just drop me an email, Graham at thinkproductive.co.uk. This episode, as always, is sponsored by Think Productive. If you've not checked out Think Productive's new website at thinkproductive.co.uk, go have a look. It's shiny, it's new, it's lovely. And also what it really marks is uh, a real uh, broadening out of the Think Productive brand to not just be about productivity and time management. That's obviously a huge part of what we do, but also focusing on other areas like leadership and management and diversity and inclusion, a whole range of new offerings um, over there at thinkproductive.co.uk. And for the first time ever, the Think Productive site kind of features the podcast and me and, you know, we're sort of pulling a lot of these uh, disparate things together. Um, I've never really wanted to be like the face of, uh, well, the face of anything really, to be honest, but like I always deliberately shied away from being the face of Think Productive and we've had a lot of advice from different marketers that we should at least make reference to Beyond Busy and my books and stuff on there. So we're doing that a bit more now. And um, if you're not signed up to my weekly email, and some really nice emails back from people over the last couple of weeks, so I've been talking about uh, gender and International Women's Day and, and various things like that. Uh, so uh, if you want to sign up for that, you can just go to graymalcott.com. And actually, if you go to graymalcott.com forward slash links, then there's a whole bunch of stuff in there, including where to sign up for my Rub Up for the Week email, but also uh, where you can buy uh, my latest book, which is out, which is How to Have the Energy, all about nutrition. And then also the book that is coming, the incoming book, which is How to Fix Meetings with my colleague Hayley Watts. We'll do a whole episode on that in the next few weeks. But um, if you want to pre-order how to fix meetings that is available uh just go to graymalcott.com and there's a link on there on that um forward slash links little page so yeah graymalcott.com forward slash links is where you go and find that and finally we have all the show notes and all the links to previous episodes and everything else to do with beyond busy is all over at getbeyondbusy.com uh so go and check that out there and if you've not heard them we did a three-part um series which was looking at the the first 100 episodes of the podcast and taking out all the best bits. Um, it's quite long, but I've heard a lot of people say, hey, that was long, but uh, when I went through it, it was just pure value. So I really enjoyed putting that together. I'd love you to go check out those episodes. I feel like they're slept on a little bit. I don't know if it's because they're quite long. I don't know. And people aren't, you know, driving really far or commuting for a long time at the moment and stuff. Um, but yeah, people emailing me saying, hey, like those... those uh, um compilation episodes for the for the 100th episode um you know pure value and honestly yeah like we picked out some real nuggets in there i think they're really worth a a look if you haven't already anyway that's that's enough ramble for me uh for another week we'll be back with grace marshall next week talking about struggle and uh it's a really good one so uh we'll see you next week for that have a great week enjoy the sunshine enjoy the spring air and we'll see you next week take care bye for now (laughs) 